The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Today is out of its mind. This is an emergency podcast. Roy Williams is leaving North Carolina to retire, and Chris Beard is going to Texas Emergency podcast, three, two, one. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, April 1st, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And as I'm sure you know, it's been a busy day in college basketball already. Roy Williams has retired at North Carolina. Chris Beard has left Texas Tech for Texas. Needless to say, we'll get into both moves, but I want to start with developments at UNC. Roy Williams, a Naismith Memorial Hall of Famer and three-time national champion, has retired. Only six men have won at least three national titles. One of them walking away from the sport today. Deadleg, your thoughts? There better not be another piece of news that breaks while we're doing this podcast. That's my thought, okay? Jeez, what a day, right? What a day. Thoughts on on Roy. Um, He's the best... Well, first of all, my my first thought is this. Tell me if you... I tweeted it. If if you disagree, that's fine. To me, this is the best job in college basketball. Agree or disagree? I think that's right. Yeah. Because of history, location, conference... uh, affiliation with not just Michael Jordan himself, which do, do not ever underestimate that, never, and the Jordan brand. Um, it is it is historic and modern royalty. To Kentucky fans and Duke fans, you obviously have a case. Those three schools are at the table. It's those three, and then it's a slight step down to anyone else you want to mention to that. To me, Carolina is the best. The best job in college basketball is open for the first time in 18 years. Second thought, Roy Williams is the best two-school coach in the history of the sport. He was so good at Kansas, and I think some of that got a little bit lost when he was both there and given his success at UNC. The man has been to 13 Elite Eights. He went in 91, 93, 96, 02, and 03 while at Kansas. And then all the others since 05, obviously, with UNC. He's been to 19 Sweet 16s, three national championships, Nine Final Fours. His NCAA tournament record is 79-27 and 27 overall. 903-264 career record. He won more than 400 games at both schools. And before we get into the Carolina job stuff, I do think it's appropriate just to, to really mention at the top of this pod, Hall of Famer Roy Williams, one of the 10 best coaches in the history of men's college basketball, and was able to succeed at two of the five best programs in the sport. Probably, I don't want to say save North Carolina, but to our young listeners who don't realize 
just how bad the situation was at UNC when he took the job to have won a national title as early as 05 when he got there, albeit with some of Matt Doherty's players. I won't ramble too much here, give you a minute to, to speak on Roy, but certainly a unique character. College basketball is highlighted and I think bettered by its diverse group of personalities. Dagum Roy, GP, is... Uh, well, he's going to have all the time in the world he wants now to play as much golf as he possibly could. The sport will miss him. He won a national title at UNC in, in year two. Um, went 33-4. and four. That was the 2005 season. Then, of course, uh, wins another one in 2009. And then wins another one, an unlikely one, I think, given the, the talent on the roster um, in, in 2017. He is undeniably one of the greatest coaches in the history of college basketball. And, you know, when we first started doing our candid coaches series, it, it might've been the first year. And I think you probably know where I'm going with this. We asked, you know, more than a hundred college coaches. We granted them anonymity in the, um, uh, you know, in, in exchange for honesty. And we asked who's the most overrated coach in the sport. And the winner of that, um, if you can call it a winner, uh, was Roy Williams. And it, it, it got a lot of attention. And even Roy was asked about it, you know, you know, in a press conference. And listen, you know, those questions, we don't answer them ourselves. We ask them and then we, we record the answers and then we publish the answers. But of all of the things we've ever done connected to candid coaches, that is the one that I regret the most because I think it, it fed into a narrative that just wasn't quite accurate. It, it is true that that Roy Williams, you know, benefited from incredible talent uh, at, at both Kansas and North Carolina, and that when he won at the highest level, it was um, usually connected to NBA player after NBA player after NBA player. But when we published that, it it it, it fed into a narrative that anybody could do what he's doing if given the jobs that he's had. And I just think that with the benefit of hindsight, at, at least that's just absolutely untrue. You know, I, I, I don't think anybody could win at Kansas the way he won at Kansas. And I don't think anybody could win at North Carolina the way he won at North Carolina. If we're being honest, and I know Roy would never, um, never say this out loud and, and might not even think it, but Dean Smith couldn't win at North Carolina at the level at which Roy Williams won at North Carolina. Roy Williams is the greatest coach in North Carolina history. Do you think there's even a counter argument to that? Dean Smith is a good counter argument to it because he was there longer and amassed more victories, but North Carolina um, did not win as many national championships under Dean Smith as it did under Roy Williams. I mean, Roy Williams to do what he, and he would never, he would never accept this. So I get that. I actually did a piece last spring, I guess it was, where I basically looked at every power conference uh, school and said, who is currently coached by their best coach in school history? And, you know, I, I did not list North Carolina with Roy. Uh, I, I, I think Dean Smith, because of what he did to build and make Carolina what it was, would maybe narrowly be ahead. But if you want to make the case there, it's absolutely there. I mean, three rings between 05 and 17. The man 
went to 30 NCAA tournaments. It's actually kind of a weird ending in that he lost in the first round for the first time in his career this year, a couple weeks ago, and that's the way that's going to be his last game. It's kind of a kind of an oddity there, but he finishes uh, just ahead of Bob Knight on the overall wins record. So it's really 50-50, you know, six in one hand, half dozen in the other for for Roy versus Dean. I think I would go Dean, and uh, I think it would depend on the generation you grew up in, whether you would prefer one or the other. But the point is, this is why Carolina is, part of why Carolina is so great, Parrish. Uh, it can claim, with plenty of room to spare, of having uh, been coached by two of the best ten, maybe two of the best five or six coaches in the history of college basketball. There was a time when, if you would have asked me by April 1st, 2021, will Roy Williams be retired, I would have said yes, 100%. Um, he had real, you know, health issues. And I, I can't remember the year exactly. I, I just remember that they were opening in the Veterans Classic at the United States Naval Academy. And I was there because we were carrying those games on CBS Sports Network. And I spent some time with Roy um, the day before, I guess, what would have been the season opener. And he had, you know, sort of opened up and and explained how much pain, like physical pain, he had been in. One of the things he noted is that in all his years as a men's basketball coach, he had never sat down during practice. Never. He was always up moving around and that for the first time, you know, in, in the past year, he had had to, you know, have a chair that he could sit down in during practice. Cause he just couldn't physically, you know, stand up anymore. I remember one of the things he said is that he had, you know, we're just sort of small talking. And I was like, so, you know, how you been? And he said, you know, he, he was actually pretty high. He's like, not, not great. He said, I played some of the worst golf on some of the most beautiful courses in the world over the past year, but he was just physically beat down. And at that time, I didn't think he had much left, but the truth is in recent years, he had, you know, after surgeries and whatever he had, he seemed to be doing better. And I think he would tell you he, he was doing, doing better. Um, but I do think, you know, the changing landscape of the sport probably contributed to this announcement today you know he is 70 years old he will turn 71 in august so he would turn 71 before the next college basketball season and when he got into this you had to you know recruit sure but you didn't have to re-recruit necessarily and we have reached a place in college basketball and i'm not complaining about it i'm in favor of transfers being able to come and go as they please. But the job is a much more demanding job right now than it was you know, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, even five years ago, in the sense that you have to recruit players to your campus and then you have to re-recruit them every single year, if not every single month, week, day. And there are some reports that, you know, the, the recent, transfer announcement of, of Walker Kessler, a, a former five-star prospect, was just sort of, I think Dan Walken at USA Today quoted somebody saying the, the, the nail in the coffin. And I don't know if that's like, like Walker Kessler 
announced the transfer and Roy Williams said, I'll never coach again. Like, I don't, I don't think, think that's, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think, think that's that. how this went down. I, I yeah. really, Walker Kessler is a fine young prospect. He's right. going to thrive at his next spot. I have a hard time believing when Walker Kessler notified Roy Williams, he was moving along. He was like, and I've had it. It's time to close up the old shop. Let's, let's yeah, hang. yeah. No, I don't think it's that clear cut. Like if, you know, if Walker Kessler would have stayed at UNC, Roy would be back. Like, I don't, I don't connect those things that strongly. But I do think, like, if we're trying to list 20 things that, that matter, um, that, that might be on the list somewhere. Like, you know what? I don't need this anymore. I, I, I'm, I'm 70 years old. I've got all the money I could ever want. I really enjoy playing golf. I'm not looking forward to coaching in the middle of a pandemic again. Um, I, I, I don't have that much interest in, in you know, trying to re-recruit my entire roster plus recruit class of 2021 2022 2023 prospects like enough enough is enough you know I had a good run it's time to to let somebody else do this I do think the changing landscape of college basketball not Walker Kessler specifically but the changing landscape of college basketball contributed to this probably a couple more quick thoughts on Roy before we get to the opening uh his 97 Kansas team has a case as one of the two or three best to never make a final four. Uh, just loaded group. His 03 Kansas team was also really, really good. Uh, Carmelo and them accused it a wonderful job, but I, I've long believed if uh, if it was an NBA Finals, uh, best of seven, if you will, Kansas would have won that, say, four to two. So he had a couple of, of just terrific ones. He was the best coach. Like, if you want to... If you want to say, like, uh, through the 2000s, between what he was doing at Kansas and then at Carolina, he was the best coach of that decade. And he won 80% of his games at Kansas and uh, a little over 75% at UNC. Um, I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. There's just there's so many uh, accomplishments there. So uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Can I throw you? Let me throw you a few names and get your reaction. You want to talk, talk candidates here real quick? Sure. Um, but, but like, one, one last little story on Roy. Um, yeah. I had noticed... Several years ago, I, I wrote this column. In fact, I'm, I'm going to write a Roy Williams column just as soon as we're done with this. And so I'll have to Google and, and find that previous column. But I had noticed a few years ago, you know how Peach Jam is or how it used to be, I should say. Um, you know, the, the, the 17 and unders would play in the morning and at night. And during the afternoon, it would be 16 and under. So younger players. And that is the time where most people say, okay, time to go get lunch. Okay, time to go get a run in. Okay, time to go get a nap. Whatever it is you need. And there was one day I was hanging around, you know, for the 16 and unders for whatever reason, and Roy was there, still in the gym. Now, I, I knew that he'd been there first thing in the morning, so for the 9 a.m. games. And, you know, he there's, there's usually three sets of games, you know, like 9, 10, 30, noon, something like that. And in the morning and then another three set of games at night. And I knew he was there early, and I knew he'd be back there at night, obviously. But he was there during the afternoon in a mostly empty gym. And I just thought that was interesting. Here's an older coach, Hall of Famer at North Carolina. Like, if there's anybody, like literally anybody, who doesn't need to be there, you know, trying to get a head start on 15-year-olds, it's probably Roy Williams. You know, at a place like North Carolina, you don't have to be there in the beginning. Like sometimes we hear these recruiting stories and we're like, you know, and uh, Alabama was the first school to ever offer this player. Well, like you might need to do that at Alabama uh, in, in men's basketball. But at North Carolina, you, you can swoop in late 
and, and, and get and get prospects. And so I just sort of thought it was interesting. Like, here's Roy Williams watching 15-year-olds, you know, on a, on a, a Friday afternoon in a mostly empty gym. I just sort of stored it away. And then I was in Chapel Hill, I don't know, later that year, probably in advance of whatever season we're talking about. And I was you know, sitting with Roy and I said, hey, let me, let me, I noticed, you know, last summer at, at, at Peach Jam, you know, you were in there in the middle of the afternoon watching 15-year-olds. And, you know, John Calipari wasn't there. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski wasn't there. Bill Self wasn't there. I said, well, what motivates you at this age? You don't have to be there, probably. What motivates you at, at this age to still grind it out on the recruiting trail the way it appeared you were grinding it out on the recruiting trail? And he sort of smiled and he said, um, he said, I know I can win with great players. I did it at Kansas. I'm doing it here. You know, I've won national titles. I, I know I can win when I have great players. I don't know if I can win without great players and I don't ever want to find out. And I just thought that was interesting. And it sort of fed in to circle back around to that initial candy coaches question. Like to the extent anybody would try to uh, discount or dismiss Roy Williams as an actual coach, it was rooted in, he gets these amazing players and then he wins with them who couldn't do that. And, And by the way, like a lot of people couldn't do that. A lot of people don't do that, but I, I, I sort of Roy like acknowledged like, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's not, I don't know, but I don't want to find out. I know, I know my recipe for success is recruiting high level prospects and then, and then winning with them playing the way I play. And it is possible that I could win with inferior prospects. And honestly, I, I think if you go to that 2017 national title team, they, I mean, they were really, really talented, but, you know, that was, you know, that, that championship and those back-to-back national title games, um, uh, they were the byproduct of him not being able to get the five-star prospects anymore because of the NCAA cloud that was hanging above the program. And so I think he probably eliminated some of the skeptics with that, or at least he should have. And, And this conversation I'm referencing was, I believe in advance of that before that, those back to back title games ever happened. But I thought it was interesting that even even Roy Williams himself um, had some some doubts about whether he could win with lesser players. For instance, at, at you know Bob Knight at Indiana, sort of the cliche people would go to is he could beat you with his players, and then he could take your players and and beat you with them too. Like he's a special special coach. And Roy seemed to suggest, and perhaps it was you know him just being uh, um, a little humble himself, but he was like, I just remember him saying. I know I can win with great players. I don't know if I could win without them. So I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm trying to. That's why I'm watching 15-year-olds on a Friday afternoon. Good stuff. Here are some names. Now, the Carolinas Open, best job again in college basketball, in my humble opinion. Uh, This is such a coveted gig that if you are – Athletic Director Bubba Cunningham, who, by the way, is on the selection committee and is here in Indianapolis, bubbled up as a member of the selection committee. So if he is uh, the type of athletic director who, uh, when it gets to the stage that you want to have an in-person interview or two with candidates, uh, two, three, four, you know, a follow-up interview, if he, if that, if an in-person thing is, t- is to happen, uh, it's going to be a while. I, I, 
they're not going to keep him here, but I would not imagine he is leaving to go back to North Carolina until the NCAA tournament uh, completes on Monday night uh, as scheduled there. So keep that in mind. Uh, there's no real timeline on all this, but there's a couple of interesting layers to it. So uh, spoke with a couple sources uh, after this broke, which, by the way, I think everyone in college basketball for about 27 seconds thought, okay, this isn't an April Fool's thing, right? Like, this isn't a joke. He's actually he's actually retiring, and sure enough, that was indeed the case. There are two names uh, inside the North Carolina family that would be under consideration above all others. They are Hubert Davis, who is a former college game day analyst <laughs> to a certain generation. Uh, that is who Hubert Davis is to an older generation. He is a former North Carolina player. And then, obviously, he's been on the staff at North Carolina since 2012. The question that nobody or very few people have an answer to is, with Roy Williams deciding to do this, uh, did he make any sort of really impassioned push behind the scenes in-house to say, listen, I'm going to retire, and I really, really, really would like you to have Hubert succeed me. Don't know if that has happened or has not. If it did happen, that's obviously a, a significant factor. He will quite obviously get an interview. Wes Miller at the UNC Greensboro GP has been there for 10 years, was on the 05 championship winning squad, former player for Roy Williams. He has been uh, seen as a rising star in the coaching ranks for a while. He is He's only 38, and he's been a head coach for 10 years. Hubert Davis has not yet been a head coach there. He will get an interview, I would have to believe. Other names attached to UNC that I just don't think are going to wind up being the coach, like Jerry Stackhouse hasn't done enough at Vanderbilt to where I think that he has a real shot at getting the job. King Rice hasn't been quite as successful as Wes Miller. Um, so I just think Hubert Davis and Wes are the in-house options. Outside the family, give me your thoughts on these. Remember, it's North Carolina. I think just about anybody that North Carolina calls is going to at least pick up the phone, which isn't to say let's engage in a, in a process, but when North Carolina calls, you pick up the phone. You could have a list of 30 names here, but I'm going to narrow it down to six. I'm going to say Mark Few because he has a really good relationship with Roy Williams, and if there was one job, I believe this is the only one. We'll see. Probably a long shot, but I'm putting him on the list. I don't know if anyone's put him on the list yet, by the way, as we record this. Tony Bennett. You got to call him. You got to call Tony Bennett, and you got to you got to see if he. Uh, you got to make him say no. If other if if you're going to go outside the Carolina family, those are the two names you have to make. You have to make him say no. I think you also have to call Billy Donovan. Um, I, it's my understanding that Billy Donovan has been intrigued by the North Carolina job for a long time. I don't know if he would leave the Bulls to to go back to college basketball, but it is North Carolina. We'll see. And then three other names: Scott Baylor. Uh, Scott Baylor, Scott Drew at Baylor. Scott Baylor is a, is a very deep sleeper candidate. Scott Drew at Baylor. You know, I think uh, particularly if he can uh, get to a title game and win it all, why not? Chris Holtman and Matt Painter would be my other two kind of next level below. I don't think it even gets to that point personally. I think you either go in-house or you get uh, one of the names I mentioned or another big-time name that I don't have here. Your thoughts? When Indiana, it was reported, was you know, reaching out to Chris Holtman, reaching out to Brad Stevens. I thought that was silly because Indiana is a really good job, but it's not the type of job where you can get the Ohio State coach, and it's not the type of job where you can get the Boston Celtics coach. I think North Carolina is the type of job where there is no silly phone call. You can you can call anybody, and it and and I'm not saying anybody would take it, but I agree with you. Anybody would listen. Anybody would think about it. Um, Mark Few is interesting. 
like obviously if you could hire Mark Few, you should hire Mark Few. Like I, you know, let's just make keep it very simple. And he would take your phone call, I would assume. But I think at the end of the day, he'd have a hard time pulling the trigger on it. Mm-hmm. I, I just think at the end of the day, when you get into names like Mark Few, I'm assuming Jay Wright's name will come up. Um, those are the type of guys who would listen and they'd go, oh boy, this is really something. And then they just have a hard time pulling the trigger. Like, I don't think Jay Wright would leave Villanova for another college job at the end of the day. And I'm at a point where I don't, I don't think I believe Mark Few would leave Gonzaga for a college job, even the North Carolina job. Where are you at on that? Do you like, they'll, they'll listen. I, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt they'll listen. I just, I would be mildly surprised if either could actually pull the trigger. No, that's uh, There's a whole hell of a lot of qualification in your voice with that, by the way. I would be, uh, yeah, I would be, I would be surprised. I just, I just know that Mark Few and Roy Williams are very, very close and, I don't think that he's going to leave, but I do think that Villan- that Villanova should anticipate that Jay Wright might just get a call and that Gonzaga should anticipate that Mark Few might get a call. He might even get more than a call. I mean, weirdly enough, like Bubba Cunningham is here. Like, not that they're going to like, there's nothing, nothing like that's obviously going to happen. He's preparing for a national championship game. So I'm, I'm just saying this tongue in cheek there. I wouldn't think they would leave either, but, uh, but to me, like any other job for Mark Few, I'm telling you, I don't think that he even picks up the phone. I just, I just, you know, I just, I just put, he's one of many names on the list, so I don't want to harp on him too much, but I do think that uh, him getting a call would be a rational thing. Billy Donovan's intriguing to me because he's got the Bulls job, so he's probably also not going to leave, but I do know that the Carolina job definitely intrigues him. I know that based on intel that I've been told uh, previously to this. So uh, again, you're, the only, the only thing about like reaching out to a Brad Stevens or Billy Donovan, and like, if you want to reach out to him, you can, but you know, to sort of circle back to where we, you know, where we were earlier. Being a college basketball coach right now is a hard job, man. It's like it's a hard way to make a lot of money. I, I mean, know you have. I know you. I, I hear like, you. Like you know, like if you're picking like a college coach to move to North Carolina, well, you're just trading one hard job for a better hard job. But if you are secure in the NBA, coaching in college is way more difficult and time consuming than coaching in the NBA is, you know, as we've talked about many times, if you are an NBA head coach, when the season's over, you can take a vacation, take two vacations. You could disappear. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter in college basketball. Like the season has just ended for some teams. And if you're a college coach right now, take trying to relax, you're out of your mind. People are trying to recruit your players. You have to re-recruit your entire team and then recruit, you know, for the future. Like, it is an exhausting, exhausting existence. And so that's why I, I'd, I'd never rule it out. You know, I, you know, if Billy has always dreamed of being the UNC coach or, or if Brad just decided, you know, this Celtics thing isn't working anymore, um, then, then, you know, we'll see. But I don't, like, it's just you would be, you'd be trading a a really great job for a much more difficult slash great job, and I'm not sure 
that if I were them, I'd want to do that. The only name I would throw out there, not the only name I would throw out there, but one of the names I would throw out there that, that you didn't mention, uh, Nate Oates at Alabama. That is somebody at North Carolina I would be interested in. If you're, if you're willing to go outside of the family, and by the way, there's some thought that they, they, they want to keep it in the family. Mm-hmm. Let me be on the record. I think that's crazy. So do it, I. It, it, it doesn't mean that um, I, I don't think Wes Miller could be great there or Hubert Davis could be great there or anybody with North Carolina connections, including Kenny Smith, the TNT broadcaster, um, would be great there. You know, I honestly think oh, there are some jobs where I don't think um, many people could do it well like the Penn State job or the Rutgers job. I, 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 you could give that job to 100 people, and maybe only 10 of them could do it well. At North Carolina, you, it's almost easier to win than it is to win big than it is to lose big. I, I, I think if you were competent at North Carolina, you're going to be great at North Carolina. So it's not hard for me to imagine a first-time head coach being great at North Carolina with North Carolina ties. But I think when you start eliminating people who don't have Roy Williams ties or Dean Smith ties or UNC ties, you really limit your candidate pool in a way that um, is counterproductive. I would open this thing up to, I want to hire the best possible coach I can hire. And if you go that route, I think Nate Oates should, he would be on my list given the style of play, the personality, um, and and the, the the track record of success. The buyout is insane. I don't think. Uh, yes, right. It's, it's insane. Like a, in it's excess like, of ten million. Yes, I for the next two years at least, it's just crazy. I don't think. I don't think because of the buyout and because Nato's doesn't have much of a filter. Not that he wouldn't be considered. I just at the end of the day, I don't know if they would go with him. That's all. That's why I would. I would say that. That's why I didn't put him on the list. Basically. So. Right. Right. But like, if you're saying at North Carolina, nothing matters except hiring the best coach. Then you know, I I I would at least be interested. I mean, but you I, you are you are accurate. Like the buyout is a big chunk of money. And uh, let me be clear, Nate Oates has been on the record criticizing Mike Shashevsky in a way very few coaches ever have. All of a few months ago. So if you want to bring that guy to coach North Carolina, the podcast will thank you. I just don't think that is going to happen. Uh, you want to get to this? Uh, Texas has filled. You want to talk some beard? Yeah. So uh, you know, Roy Williams. Retiring at North Carolina, obviously the big headline of the day. Second biggest headline of the day, Chris Beard is leaving Texas Tech to be the next head coach at Texas. And, you know, I don't think this is surprising. Like when the Texas job opened, Chris Beard was the obvious candidate. I think on a previous podcast, you know, I said you call Chris Beard and you, you make him say no three times before you move on to candidate two. And. I never thought he would actually turn this down. Uh, I, I didn't put it at 100% he's taking the Texas job, but the truth is it is awkward to leave Texas Tech for Texas. It is awkward to leave um, one Big 12 school for another, but it's, it's, it's a hard day. It's a hard day, but then you move on and you're in the right place. Texas is a better job. It's much easier to win there. It is much easier to recruit there. I think if you're the Texas Tech coach and you turn down Texas, you wonder if you made the right move every day for the rest of your career. If you're the Texas Tech coach and you take the Texas job, you 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 struggle with it for about a day, maybe maybe a few days 
but then you know you you made the right decision. This was, uh, again, this was almost certainly always going to go this direction. Uh, talk about after the slowest carousel in maybe ever a year ago, necessitated by the pandemic. Uh, I once heard a man call it the dumbest of our lifetimes, but that's I I never seen one. That's a conversation for another time. The (laughs) the boomerang back to what we have here. I mean, Texas and Carolina are two of the five or six biggest jobs in the sport. Beard taking it, not a surprise. This was their top candidate, and the buyout dropped a million dollars right here on April one from five to four million. Uh, He went to Texas. I wonder if the paradigm of that conference in college basketball nationally will change. Like, if, if, you're, if you tell me with 100% assurance that Chris Beard is going to be as successful at Texas as he was at Texas Tech, to me that, that means that he's going to make a national championship game within four or five years of having the job. And if that's the case, then yes, things are about to get really different in a hurry. And this is the kind of job where... Uh, I have learned to side with Parrish's worldview on this. I'm not going to promise you that Chris Beard will be the 25-year coach at Texas or anything like that, but if you told me this will be the place that he spends the rest of his career, it also would not surprise me. It fits him well, and if he has success there, he really can own that state and get Texas to the top of the top of the sport on an almost annual basis. It's a great job for Texas, good for Beard. I'm sure it wasn't that easy to leave, not only to remain in state, remain in conference, but this gets done. Good on him. Good on Chris Del Conte, the AD, for getting it done. And now uh, we have another opening uh, at a power conference school at Texas Tech. I suppose I'll toss out a few names there since we did it with Carolina. I would think Grant McCaslin, Paul Mills, both sitting coaches, both made the tournament. Uh, They'll get looks. Both former assistants at Baylor, by the way. Kyle Keller, Stephen F. Austin, potentially. Uh, I saw someone toss out Chris Jans at New Mexico State. I could see that. Joe Golding, Abilene Christian. These are all guys in the area, by the way. So don't know if it'll be one of those, but I could see it being one of those uh, at this point. But again, we are... we. We're early in this process from a public perspective. Behind the scenes, Texas Tech has known uh, for a couple days here that this is the way it was going to go. So it's no doubt done some on-the-ground due diligence with there. And what Beard built up, like he actually gave you a nice little entry point. The roster situation is going to be a little tough for Texas Tech. um, And unfortunately, it flips like this. I mean, you had Texas Tech in a better spot in the league than Texas for a couple years when Beard was there. And now he goes, and unfortunately, that pendulum goes the other way. And TTU is going to have to make sure it gets the right coach to try and keep it standing both in the league and nationally yeah Chris Beard at Texas I think that's the type of thing that if it's going well you don't leave for another college job you know like we don't have to lie to each other the reason Shaka left for Marquette isn't because Marquette's a better job than Texas it's because you know he was he was parachuting in to a good situation while exiting uh and you know and a less than great situation given that he was going to enter next season as the face of, of most hot seat list. Um, you know, if, if Chris, you know, has it rocking and rolling in Texas, that's not the type of job he would leave for another college job. The only thing I could see him doing beyond this, again, assuming it goes well, would be the NBA, because I know he is on NBA radars, and I've yet to meet a college coach who isn't intrigued by the NBA. Like, whoever you're who, – like, you make a list of your 10 – the 10 best coaches in college basketball. And I promise you all of them are intrigued by the NBA. 
Um, like Mike Krzyzewski wouldn't go at this point because he's in his seventies, but you know, anybody 60 and younger is intrigued by the NBA. So I could maybe see Chris Beard in the NBA someday, but I, I think Texas probably just found its coach, um, somebody who's going to be there for, for a long time. And there's, you know, nothing is a sure thing. Nothing is a sure thing. Um, or very few things are sure things. You know, maybe maybe Nick Saban is a sure thing and Urban Meyer is a sure thing and John Calipari and Rick Pitino is sure things. But he's Chris Beard at Texas seems about as close to a sure thing as you as you could find. Uh, I agree. So <laughs> we're slowly moving along. Let's hope there's no more. Listen, well, I know we want these jobs to fill as soon as possible, but my God, we got we got a Final Four podcast still to do. That's now going to be coming tomorrow, by the way. And I guess since we're talking like, real quick, uh, Tony Subblefield, the Oregon assistant, is going to take the DePaul job. So DePaul, poor DePaul. You know, DePaul closes early on Thursday morning, and it gets all of 10 minutes of attention. And then next thing you know, Roy Williams retires. Chris Beard takes Texas. But DePaul, you got an end of podcast shout-out here. Stubblefield's coming along. Your gig is filled. Congrats. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. And thank you guys once again. For listening to the Iowa College Basketball Podcast, middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Boy, it's something else, man. It's something else. You're Welcome to Indianapolis. These... You reading about these variants? No, but you're on the ground in Indianapolis. It's great to have you. All I wanted to do today, all I wanted to do is get a nap in because I'm exhausted and watch the Mets opening day. Neither of those things are going to happen. The variants... And the Mets, not good. I never seen one like this. You got uh, you got your guy Lindor for seven hundred million though. Congrats. Three, yeah, happy about that. Ten years in excess of three hundred million. But then this dumb pandemic done canceled opening day. That's all I wanted. I don't ask for much. Just give me a Mets baseball game on April first in prime time. Now what am I gonna do? Sit here and write a Roy Williams column on No Sleep. That's right. Never seen one like this. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24 7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.